Blog Talk Radio. to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover Howard. Hi, Patricia. Bonjour, bonjour. <laughs> oh, bonjour. <laughs> well, everyone, Patricia is going to monitor to the chat room and post questions and comments concerning our discussion tonight. And our discussion will focus on Roots to Glory and exploration and tracing your African roots with Ada, Adaho Brown, and several root seekers, Gail Reed, Denise Bennett, Deborah Body, Patricia Glover Howard, and Denise Bournes. So I want to just tell you a little bit about Ada. She is a native of Cameroon whose family moved to the United States in 1975. Well, in 2012, she launched Roots to Glory Tours, a company dedicated to bridging the gap between the United States and Africa. Now, for... A little over five years, she has organized trips to Cameroon, Benin, Nigeria, and Cote d'Ivoire with African Americans who trace their DNA to those countries. So I know many of you have seen all of the pictures and the videos that we posted from the recent trip to Cote d'Ivoire. And so this show is going to focus on that most recent show. In addition, we're going to have the the root seekers share their experience also on this trip. So let's start with Ada. Ada, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and bonsoir to the morning. Bonsoir. So why don't you just... Take us back to why you decided to start this company in the first place. Well, I felt like there was a need in the community for people that are um, searching their DNA but also searching their family. As you know, as a genealogist, you understand that that search for family and closure is very important. And so uh, we felt that it was just a little – we could take it a little step further – 
in, in helping people discover the country where their DNA comes from. So we started this Roots to Glory. It's basically finding your roots and understanding the glory that comes from knowing who you are. And so that was the catalyst of, of what is now Roots to Glory Tours, helping people um, in the diaspora reconnect to the continent and understanding the culture and the history, the tradition of the people who left the, the continent and are now in the diaspora. Their descendants are now in the diaspora. So it was very important for us to make sure that also um, the narrative on Africa is it's changed. We want people to be the voice for Africa. But in order to be the voice for Africa, you have to know Africa. You have to know where your ancestors came from. You have to know the little quirks about why you do certain things and understand that it comes from certain customs that are uh, traditionally African. Um, one thing in particular, I was speaking to a lady today, and she was telling me that her um, her husband is a chef, and, and he does a lot of cooking, and, and his whole family, all the men, cook. And she, she just, you know, couldn't understand it. And I said to her, and I said, you know, it's interesting you say that, because during the times um, back then when we had these various kingdoms, it was the men that cooked for the king. As you know, sometimes um, in our history, women were not allowed to cook at certain times during their cycles. Um, they were not allowed to cook. There was something about that they were um, purifying their bodies so they could not um, be involved in cooking for other people while their bodies were going through this process. In addition, back then, there were very many um, uh, traditional leaders with multiple wives. And to avoid the issue of uh, poison and, and jealousy and all of that, they decided that it was best to have the men cook um, for the kings um, rather than the women cook. So that, that kind of became this, this love and this um, passion that many men started having for, for cooking. And so it makes sense now. I told her this, and she said, wow. I never knew that, and now it makes sense. And so it's just those kind of things that we find that connects us to the continent and not really understanding why until you understand what happens on the continent. So that's why we started Roost the Glory Tour. That's why we're continuing our journey. And and it's really good to hear you share that because so many of us have no clue as to why certain things take take place in our families or why we have certain patterns in our family. We don't know, and then we can trace it back and say, oh, you know, I'm seeing that that's what happened in Africa. So talk to us about the process for organizing trips to Africa and how do you select the various countries to visit. Right. So um, we decide on the country to visit based on what we see as the the need. So uh, if we find that a lot of people are tracing their DNA to Nigeria, for instance, that is a very important thing. We we go where people want to go because the, because um, the country might be inaccessible because the culture is still not known. Um, Cote d'Ivoire was a prime example. Cote d'Ivoire has a huge history in terms of where it's geographically located 
And if you understand the history of Cote d'Ivoire and its, and its history based on the, the migration of the people, then you'll understand how Ghanaians ended up where they are, how the, the Fon from Togo ended up where they are, um, and how some of the people in the southern part of Cote d'Ivoire, who are really Akan, um, ended up where they are. So in, other, in order to understand uh, Cote d'Ivoire, you have to go there and really get into the culture and the tradition and the history to know where these people come from. And that's kind of how, how we do it. We find the places where we believe that the, the culture is un, uh, underrepresented um, and the culture is still not, not known very well in the diaspora um, and a place where people have found that their DNA originates from but want to know more. And, and it takes us really six months to a year to put together a really solid trip. So I say six months to a year because the first six months, we're getting to know the country as well. We go there. We do a, a visit. We visit all the villages. We talk to people. We try to understand the culture. Before we start to promote it, we need to know about it. And then the second six months, we're helping people know that we have this trip. And so we're gathering all the people that are going to be coming on the trip, and then we cater the trip towards those people that are coming. So we will send out an email saying, okay, is there something that you want to know specifically when you land on the continent? What do you want to do when you get there? What are some of the takeaways that you have to achieve when you leave that country? We know that you may only have one opportunity to hit that country, and, and, and to learn as much as you can about your people. So we want to be able to give you that, give you that closure by providing an itinerary that's inclusive of all the things that that group now wants to do. And you already have questions coming out of the chat room. Uh, one of the questions is, uh, or at least the response to what you're saying is that Kanika is saying that she's looking forward to visiting her newly found relatives in Nigeria and Benin. And so right there you have somebody who's thinking of, of participating in a tour. She also wanted to know how many people are uh, in each tour. Uh-oh, I think I just lost her. Uh, so while we're waiting to get back online with, um, let me call her right back right quick. I just lost her. Hold on, folks. Okay, I'm getting her back on again. <laughs> Unfortunately, this happens oh, sometimes and we drop. Oh, okay, sorry. so we dropped your call, but I got you back on. Yes, okay, did you hear the Thank question? You. Yes. Did you hear the question? No, I didn't. Sorry. Okay. Uh, she wanted to know how many people um, would you have on a tour? What's kind of your ideal number of people per tour? Um, I would say 10 to 15 people, depending on the country, um, and, and really no more than that. We try to keep the group as small as possible because we're, we're, we're not just touring. We're, we're creating this. Um, this family, um, 
And so as we go around the country, we get to know each other as well. Um, and so you can't do that if you have 20 people. So we try to mm-hmm. keep it 10, the most 15 people for each tour. Okay, and you already said that it take you before tours even organize. It's a, you take about six months just to go in the country, really get to know uh, the various places, yeah. and then you start uh, promoting this tour once you kind of get an yeah. idea of what will happen. Yes, absolutely. It's it's I have I have. Um, I avoid doing a tour without knowing the territory, um, without knowing what's to be, to be expected. Um, it, it's just it's very important in in the whole uh, organization to know that country well enough that you can take people. You know where where to go. You understand what's to be expected, and so because people rely on you and they'll ask you, well, what do I expect? And and if you don't know, you have to figure it out. You have to know. You have to find out. So we make sure that we go to that country. We vet that country. We speak. We we have relationships with the embassies. We have relationships with the diaspora. Honestly, this trip to Cote d'Ivoire could not have happened without people like Pepita and, and Luceni and um, and uh, Sadiku and Octans and uh, Dr. Silui who were instrumental in really helping us put this together. I think that um, a country like Cote d'Ivoire, where the hospitality is amazing, they were just like, whatever, you know, there's so many houses available for you if you want to come and have dinner and and meet people. It was just, that's kind of what you look for, um, that kind of experience. You want to have a tour, but you also are trying to meet the people, understand who they are, understand their culture. So, yeah. So working with the diaspora of that country is very important. And an, another question coming out of the chat room, and by the way, it is wonderful that you are working with the diaspora because to go into a country and to have people there knowing that you're coming, and I saw how warmly they greeted you. It's like you set yeah. us up. You were our ambassador so that when we arrived, yeah. they knew we were coming, which, which is a really wonderful feeling uh, to enter a yeah. country and to, to know that we're just not strangers to them just coming from the hinterlands. Uh, but there's yeah. a question, and they want to know, do you always leave from, leave when, when I say leave, from the United States from one specific city, or do you have people leaving from multiple cities? Well, okay, so, you know, uh, this is always something that, that, that um, is an interesting question that people ask all the time. Um, this particular time, all right, so let me preface it by saying that any time that we can get a, a one-way, a nonstop flight to Africa is a good time. It's a great opportunity. So when we say, you know, we're going out of New Jersey, for instance, it's because we know that that flight is going to be easy and it's going to get the, us there quickly. We don't have to go through the rigmarole of, of being mm-hmm. on a plane for 14 hours uh, being in an airport for five hours, six hours. So we try to cut the distance between us and our location. So 
because we want to spend more time in Africa than we do on the plane getting to Africa. So that, with that said, um, oftentimes we leave out of D.C. Um, and then, you know, very seldom um, do we uh, encourage people to leave from their own home state directly into um, into whatever our, our um, protocol is, only because, you know, if your flight is late, somebody else's flight is late, our flight is on time, the logistics and planning this, it's very tricky. So we, want, we always want everybody to leave from one airport. We get there all the same time. We have one transportation to get us from one place to another. Sometimes logistics is even like, um, you know, at the airport uh, with immigration, with customs, all those things that we have to do in some countries, we have privilege, you know, that we may, we, may not be, we may not have to do some of the things that everybody else does because of our relationships with the country. So that's, you know, I hope that answers that question. Right. And then what kind of preparation do you uh, recommend to the people who are going on these trips? Um, the first thing I always say to people is um, have uh, have an open mind, uh, be up for for um, and have an open mind. Time is elastic because nothing ever runs on time. People are late, you know. Africans, we just you know we're just casual people, um, and if you think we're casual here on the continent, it's even more casual. Um, and um, also prepare yourself for not having the amenities that you have here, regardless of what country you're going to. You're not going to have fast Wi-Fi. You're not going to have hot water all the time. You're not, you know, certain things that, that you should leave here and open your, open your heart and open your, um, your expectations or lower your expectations or have realistic expectations when you go there. Um, another thing that people don't realize that in, in some African countries, the cold drinks that you get are not the same cold drinks. I mean, sometimes we get cold drinks here and it's almost like the drink was in the freezer. But because of the current in Africa, there are certain times when you might have a drink or drinks throughout your whole entire stay that are kind of like, you know, kind of cold but not cold, um, that's, that's always something that I find interesting that people still think that you get there and you can get everything. You can get the Wi-Fi. You can get the cold beer. You can, you know, um, get the, the hot shower. You can, you know, it's just all those things that you have to leave here and go over there and think you're in a different world, different country, different, different everything. So those are the things that mentally you have to prepare yourself for Africa. Physically is another thing completely because there's certain things that we ask you to be prepared for depending on the terrain of where we're going. That's right. Not to mention that people will have to pay attention to the CDC guidelines as far as immunizations. Yeah. Of course, you have to have a passport, uh, a visa to get into these countries, but and travel insurance if you are concerned that maybe something may happen and you may have to uh, fly home. 
But it's it's just something that uh, it's a lot of things to prepare for certainly. But as you yes. say, open yes. your heart, <laughs> open your mind, yes. and be prepared right. to just accept this wonderful and beautiful experience. Well, Ada, we have right. several individuals on the line and. They participated in the most recent trip to Cote d'Ivoire, and I'm going to ask each of them to say something. So the first person is Denise Barnes. Denise, hi. Welcome to the show. Well, tell us about your experience and why did you decide to take this particular trip? Uh, Thank you, um, Bernice, and thank you, Ada, for telling folks why uh, Roots to Glory is such a great opportunity and one that um, I've taken advantage of several times. I met uh, Adad, oh, I, I don't remember the year, but it's been almost 10 years or more when we when it made our first trip to uh, Cameroon. And so she's a master at putting these uh, trips together. And like she said, um, you know, I've done my DNA. Um, I've gotten even more countries now that are listed uh, of my uh, ancestry origin. So I'm going down the list. And so I've been to uh, Ghana and now um, uh, Cote d'Ivoire. And now, you know, wherever Ada says we're going next, I I plan to be there. And um, so, you know, to me it was just important to, like she said, put the pieces together you know, we are who we are, but we, we're we made up of a lot of, of different cultures and, and um, you know, all the cells, all the little pieces that come together. And sometimes we want to know wh- where where did we get our personality from, you know, um, the way that we kind of look at things, what, what we like and what we don't like. And taking these trips and having this experience kind of puts, the puzzle together but you know I've kind of determined now at this point that um, when we do our DNA sometimes we're hoping to you know get to the finish line okay now I know where I came from but to me the trip always is like a new beginning you're learning so you, you get there and then there's there's this big world that opens up to you to know more about Africa to know more about yourself and it it's um, it's always I come home a, a different person, um, mm-hmm. you know, more fulfilled, more um, aware, more conscious, and I see the world a little differently every time. And it's um, it, it's probably some of the best medicine that I anybody could ever have uh, to get a chance to see, um, you know, who who you are, who I am, and so that's why I enjoy these trips. <laughs> And um, and and I want to just say, if I don't get a chance to say anything else, is the fact that the more African Americans are taking these trips to the continent, like Ada said, you know, trying to find that 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 flight that will take you straight there. We are opening up opportunities for Africa, and more and more airlines now are doing direct flights from places like. Uh, uh, Washington, D.C., you know, they always did New York, uh, but especially from D.C., this is the influence that we're having on the economics of uh, travel, and we need to stand up and claim that uh, because people ignore the black consumer, 
and the influence that we have on on the travel industry, um, and they don't market to us, and that and Ada markets to us, and so we need to take advantage, support those institutions that market to us, and the airlines that provide superb service. So I'll, I'll stop there because there are others on the phone. Okay, so Denise Bennett, this was your uh, first time going to Cote d'Ivoire. Tell us about the experience. Um, Hi. Um, Thank you again to uh, Ada, as Denise and my mom said, for putting together this experience. And thank you, Mommy, for, you know, just continuing to, to teach me about our ancestry and our people, and yes, yeah, so this was this was my first time not to the continent, but to West Africa and to Cote d'Ivoire, and you know it was a very transformative experience. Is that you know I felt very prepared for how Ada, you know, prepared us for what we were, you know, going to experience, but I I don't know if I was truly prepared for the emotional. Uh, you know, awakening that I got from the people that we met and the stories and experiences that we were able to share together. And I think some of the the moments that were so uh, so moving to me were just the openness that a lot of the people had that where they talked about some of the some of the guilt, some of the shame that they felt. Um, for their ancestors' role in the transatlantic slave trade, but then, then those conversations quickly went to the the wanting to find those these moments of reconciliation and forgiveness, and and those were just so monumental to me because I very much felt like we and we were literally being welcomed home and told that. You know, this is our home. These people are our family. And I, I think as all of us, as black Americans, are, you know, we we naturally are always kind of dealing with and at times struggling with our identity as, you know, as belonging in a country that is, you know, we have such a storied and storied history here sort of to go to a place and be told this is your home. I mean, it was it was just a monumental feeling, and I I felt very much like uh, Denise said. I felt very very changed and and whole, and it I feel comforted now. Even though you know I'm I, I am American, you know we're we're American. That's not going to change, but I I just feel more more whole knowing that. I, I have a home in Cote d'Ivoire, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the next uh, opportunity to go to, you know, any of the other countries within West Africa, and hopefully have that same type of experience, you know, as we're as I'm exploring the rest of our um, DNA and identity. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's very interesting that you would talk about that emotional awakening. At what point during this journey that did this awakening take place? Well, that thankfully, um, Adai and Pepita, you know, really 
gave us multiple opportunities to have these moments. And I think, again, that's what made it so so beautiful and monumental because it was very uh, consistent. You know, I think when we met with um, – it was one of the um, uh, politicians or um, – uh, people in Corrigo, he was the first person that noted to us, you know, that our being there signaled our uh, feelings of forgiveness. So he was he was actually giving us some credit for being there because that showed that we were open to the forgiveness and open to having this this dialogue. Um, and then it was interesting when we went to I think we were in the village in Lataha and in Coral, though, where the village women, they only had a very, you know, very top-line surface knowledge of even the, the, the you know, how, how we got to the Americas in the first place. You know, they had a little bit of oral knowledge that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that, you know, villagers, you know, had been taken and they never really knew what happened to them. They didn't have the full story, but once Ada gave them a full picture of how we became to be, they kind of instantly were like, "Well, you're this is your home. You know, we, you know, we we accept you and we welcome you. You're you're one of us." And you know, then when we went to Grand Bassam and met with the um, the heads of the um, seven families, you know, the one one of the leaders who really, really broke it down um, and was very honest and transparent of saying, you know, these are the things that happened. And, you know, he was saying that they, some people were very content to let all of us on both sides of the Atlantic continue to believe that it was only the colonizers that, you know, came in and stole us all. And he said, obviously, that was very true, but it was important for him to say the whole story that that some of us were, you know, handpicked and, you know, we were sold. And he said it was important for us to have that conversation so that we can start to heal and reconcile and come together as Africans. And, and that's what really just, it really touched me because that, you know, I think then it's, it lends us to what Adah's point of doing this is, is building these bridges so that we are, we, we're not so much, you know, Africans on one end and African-Americans and uh, Caribbeans and, you know, all these disparate uh, groups. We are, we are one. We're all Africans just across the world, but coming together, we can, we can really do some, some wonderful things together to help each other and support each other. Right. So I have a comment coming out of the chat room, and this is from Kanika. She's saying, wow, some didn't know much about what happened to us lost ones. That's interesting about the forgiveness angle. Yes, we we need to come together. So Deborah, Deborah Bobby, Deborah, tell us, uh, you know, your thoughts, because I know Cote d'Ivoire is not the only country that you visited, but just tell us what these visits have meant to you. Thanks, Bernice, for uh, having me on. And again, thanks to Ada for uh, even having the um, 
the uh, insight, the courage uh, to put this uh, organization together and to just move forward in faith, and uh, it has turned into something very wonderful. Um, I am an African-American woman that was born in North Carolina, raised in D.C., and married to a Cameroonian. And so my first trip to the continent was to Cameroon. And, of course, I fell in love with the, the food, the people, the language, and, and the culture. Um, over the years, though, we've had an opportunity to visit some other countries uh, like South Africa, Kenya, and recently um, went to Ghana with Roots to Glory. Uh, one of the things that come to mind is that um, when, when um, children are, are adopted, um, it is their, I have found that it, it is their desire to always find their biological parents, whether um, or not they are unhappy with the parents that raised them or, or not. Uh, they can be very happy with the, uh, the, the adopted or adopted parents. But uh, there are times when they always want to find uh, the, their biological parents. And so what a close friend of mine has said to me is that there is always a desire to have a complete narrative of, of who you are. And so as I was thinking about that on this trip when we were in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, I see us as children who have uh, been removed from our parents, our homeland, Africa, and we're now in, in a land where uh, we are now seeking to find our, our true parents, so to speak. And so in, in that regard, these trips have helped to um, give me a more complete narrative of who I am. Um, my ancestry does trace, my DNA uh, African ancestry does trace to Cameroon, uh, but Cameroon is, is not um, the only place that I have felt connected in these trips. There has been such a, a feeling of, of warmth when we've visited so many of these countries. We've been welcomed uh, as uh, children who have been lost and, and returned. So um, I especially enjoyed Cote d'Ivoire, I, I, more so than uh, any of the other places that we, we visited. But, you know, I'm looking forward to the next trip, and uh, who knows, maybe that will be, you know, just take us even higher. But I um, am glad to have been a part of this journey, uh, glad to have met so many wonderful people and uh, have had this wonderful experience. Well, you know, there was an experience that uh, we all went through in which we were put in the traditional clothes, clothing and we had the various markings put on our bodies and then we walked to uh, the river. Tell me, how did it feel to have that experience as part of this trip for you? 
Well, you know, it, it, it touched me deeply because when we were told that our, our ancestors had been marched, you know, great distances, and when they arrived uh, at this area, that they were battered, that they were disheveled, that they were, you know, just really had been abused. And what really, really touched me was the fact that the people in, in this village decided that they needed to restore some humanity to, to the people who were, you know, passing through and said that they, you know, that, that this is a place where uh, they would try to, to give them a bath to help uh, restore some of their humanity. But what really, really touched me was the fact that because they didn't have clothes for all of them, and some of them uh, may have only been in, in rags at most, they used the, the chalk to make markings, to, to make decorative marks on the skin. And to me, that was so symbolic of being clothed. Yeah, they may have been physically naked, but the desire to try to, to cover them in, in love and to show them that, yes, you, you are human and, yes, you have been through a lot, but we are people uh, who care about you and, and this is the way that we show it. Um, so for me, that that was probably the, the most moving aspect. And, of course, uh, some of the pictures that you took at that location, Bernice, were, were just magnificent. Um, and uh, I am really grateful for, for that experience, and I, I think I'll be forever changed by it. Yes, it was, it was a moving experience. There's, there's one scene, one picture that I took where you could see that we walked through the forest, and there was one last person with the red shirt. And every time I close my eyes, I see that picture and just imagine the, you know, the enslaved walking, the captured Africans walking in the forest and coming up on this river. Um, it's it's just a, a, a moving scene just to think that that was where they had their last bath before they continued to walk them to the ocean. What what an experience. Well, Gail, tell us your thoughts. What how how did it feel for you to to be in Cote d'Ivoire and also to be exposed to some of the culture of the that country? Gail? Okay, I'm not hearing Gail. Patricia, what about you? Oh, hi, Bernice. Um, well, um, this was my first time on the Roots to Glory tour, in addition to being the, the first time that I actually went to the continent. So everything was a first to me. It's so interesting because... Uh, uh, Elaine, when she and I were talking, she said that there was going to be a lot of stimulation. And and as I replayed the trip, 
I mean, there there was a lot that that you have to manage. You're managing uh, the actual tour and visiting those places. Uh, you're managing your time in the van. I mean, when you really, really think about it, we're spending 10 days with each other. That's a third of the month. That That's a lot of time, you know, as you think about it. But uh, it was it was magnificent. I enjoyed uh, visiting the Sinifu, uh people and that village and seeing them in their natural habitat. Uh, there were animals walking around. There were people. There was music. Um, and uh, that village is the oldest village uh, up north in Cote d'Ivoire. And it was just, it was fabulous. Uh, Pepita took us through there. Her, her, uh, what was it? Her great grandfather had lived to be, I think, 118 years old, and uh, he had left this amazing legacy for her and her brother. Uh, it, it was, I mean, I can go on and on. We met with the weavers, uh, and I particularly liked the way that they did their uh, their business. They had this collective where uh, no one person could could uh, work with uh, someone who wanted to buy some beads or wanted to buy something. They couldn't come up with one price. They would have to work together and come up with the price and then bring that to to me. And I thought that was amazing. So, Yeah, and, you know, speaking of the weavers, yeah, speaking of the weavers, it was interesting how the work was divided. For example, it was the older women that actually took the cotton and had to spin it into thread. And then the men are the weavers. The younger women were the ones to sew the the dresses and what have you. So it's it's very, very interesting just to see uh just how things were, were organized and set up in in uh, Cote d'Ivoire. Well, I understand and Gail then, is on the line. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, say and, something and else? What, what, was, what was that other thing where they said that the that gift is passed down from father to son? Is there That's only, right. what was it, seven years old? Seven years weaving. old. Mm-hmm. It's the weaving. And that and that when the when the, the men retire from the weaving, they don't do anything at the house. So the the women when they retire from sewing, they spin the cotton. The men when they retire, they don't do anything because the work that they do nonstop day after day, it's almost crippling by the time they finish doing it and they retire. So they don't have um much to do after that. Right, that's th- that is true. Uh, you know, we noticed that. I mean, this is a very agricultural community, so we saw the fresh vegetables and the women do a lot of that work. So, Gail, are you on the line? Yes, Bernice. Can you hear me now? Oh yes, I can hear you now. So, Gail, uh, okay. tell us. This is Gail Reed, everyone. And so, Gail, tell us about your experience. Well, I want to back up a little bit. Um, first of all, I, I had my first trip with Ada earlier this year. I'm originally from the state of South Carolina, 
and I went on a Gullah Geechee tour with her. And although I'm from the state of South Carolina, I did not know anything hardly about um, the history of the Gullah Geechee and its association with the African continent. So I took that, 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 that trip with her, and it was absolutely wonderful. Shortly thereafter, I did my DNA, and then I learned that um, percentage of my DNA were from Cotevar as well. And so when I learned about that trip, I decided I had to go. And like Patricia, this was my first time on the African continent. So for me, everything was brand new. Everything was interesting and, to a great extent, very emotional. I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about our origins. And it was just incredible to see the people, how they live, uh, the culture, and just being a part of something that I know that my foreparents came from was just uh, mind-blowing for me. So I'm looking forward to more trips with, with Ada and um, learning more about myself. Wow. <laughs> I think everyone is, is saying similar things as far as that experience, Ada, and I think that's pretty much meeting the goal that you set out. But tell us, Ada, what's what's up? What's new in the horizon? What can people expect as far as new trips that you have planned? Well, um, we are actually working on um, uh, trips to countries like Sierra Leone, for instance. Um, Sierra Leone has been on our list for a while and we had to take it off the list because of the Ebola crisis. But they're, they're mending and they're, they're back. So we're going to do a, a trip there very soon. Um, we have this culinary tours that are going on with chefs from all over uh, America who are now learning about the food ways of their ancestors. Um, and those are going to keep going on. And we're going to add countries that, have have not really been explored very much. Um, Sierra Leone is one of them. Um, Senegal is one of those places that a lot of people have gone to in the in the early 90s and 80s. But um, we feel like there's a lot to explore there. Um, so Senegal and the Gambia, and um, and uh, and perhaps uh, we're going to add Congo, uh, Brazzaville, and Kinshasa. And uh, ultimately, we'd like to go to Angola as well. So we want to cover the West Coast because, you know, a lot of people just need to understand that part of it. They need to come to grips with sort of what happened in the transatlantic slave trade. And I feel like once we've done that and enough people are, are passionate and they can do this on their own, um, we can explore the other places. So we're looking at the, the most recent migration, which is in the West, but then we're also going to look at migrations that occurred prior to that, which is in the East. So countries like uh, Tanzania, countries like Kenya, um, we're also working on a trip um, to see the Nubians in Sudan. 
um, and countries like, uh, you know, Egypt. I don't want to say Egypt, but I, I want to talk about the, the black presence in the Nile, um, and that would be Sudan and some parts of Egypt. Uh, and um, countries like Rwanda um, and uh, Ethiopia. So, so we have a lot of work to do. We're trying to cover the West, but then we're going to backtrack and cover the East so that people can fully understand that we really are one people. Whatever country your DNA comes from, you have to know that we all travel together. There were small groups of us, small groups of our families, that travel together, and and you know most of our DNA is somehow related. Um, if you look at that migration pattern, if you look at the people and what they look like, you understand the Akans, you understand the Malians. They all look, you know, very similar. So it's exploration. And you also have a question about Madagascar. Is that a possibility? Yes, yes absolutely. Absolutely. Madagascar, Tanzania, Zanzibar. Mm -hmm. Great. And just, you know, just your perspective, because you you have a way of looking at uh, the African Americans. What do you see as far as what they're going through and their transformation as you have gone on these many, many trips with them? So, um, I think that uh, a lot of, you know, everybody that was on the call that that just recently spoke, um, spoke about really what the global feeling that people have when they they travel to the continent, whether or not you see yourself in the people, um, when you step on the continent, there is a, there's a different feeling. There is just, and and I don't know if if you can name it uh, any particular way, but I know that everybody has their own feeling about that feeling. Um, I, I've had people, after the fourth day, they break down and, and they cry and they don't really understand why. And I, and I say to them all the time, I say, listen, your ancestors, when they were taken from the continent, all they wanted was to go back home. They didn't know where home was. They're in some mm-hmm. random boat, in some random town, in some random cell, in some random warehouse, you know, naked, uh, with their eyes, you know, uh, in the dark, and and probably with something around their eyes that they can't see. So their only thought was to go home, and I truly believe that DNA has memory. And so you have now the descendants who, when they get to the continent, there's just something in their soul that cries out that it's, we're here, we're free, we're here. And and so the experience that you have in the different places plays on that 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 memory, that remembrance of some of the 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 some of what the ancestors went through. And you not knowing that that's what the case is, you know, it, it's a little bit difficult, but if you go there knowing that it's a place to rejoice, and it's a place that your ancestors dreamed about. Um, then you embrace it, and it's okay because it gives you closure, and because it, right. it also gives their them closure. Mhm, mhm. 
So with you, you know, seeing this and observing it and really understanding why people are taking this trip, I gather that this is something that you will definitely continue doing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think if, as long as people want to go, and, and like Denise Barnes said, that we are really changing the way people look at Africa, and we're, we're helping the economies of Africa by going, um, and then it's making it easier for us to go. Pretty soon you'll have, um, and, I, and I think that Kojiwa is, um, is spearheading this direct to, to, to their country, um, movement, they're actually making a deal with Ethiopian, oh, no, I'm sorry, with Air Cote d'Ivoire, will be flying out of BWI directly into Abidjan. So wow. that in itself is an amazing thing. I mean, we would have never thought about this six, seven never. years ago. We, <laughs> never. We were, <laughs> it, was, it was Air France, uh, SN Brussels, British Airlines, and maybe Kenyan Air. That was it. And now it's Ethiopian. Now it's Kenyan. Kenyan just opened a new leg. They're going to be going again from New York directly into Kenya. Um, they just opened it. So now you have all these. Ethiopia has really changed the way people look at flying into Africa, and they're going everywhere. They're going to Asia. They're going to Canada. They're going to South America, um, Europe. They're they're taking people from everywhere. And when you land on in Ethiopia, you'll see how many planes they have. It's amazing, and it's an African country, you know, an African airline. So it's just it's a wonderful thing to see. And I and I hope and I wish that it continues the growth um, because really, um, at the end of the day, we're trying to understand each other. And we need to be connected as Africans, descendants of the continent of Africa, need to be more connected to each other so that together we're doing something strong for our people. Bernice, I if love I, this it. is Denise. If I can sure. just add something real quick because I didn't get a chance to let um, Adai know this. But, um, you know, the thing about these trips, she can tailor. That's why she asked you, before you go, is there anything special you want to do or to get out of it? And as a journalist um, or in the, someone in the media like my counterpart, Denise, um, your daughter, I wanted to meet some journalists there. And so she set that meeting up for me. I went to the International School, uh, International, uh, School of Communications, met with some journalists from the, um, uh, the Union of uh, Journalists of Cote d'Ivoire, and um, yesterday I, got, I received an email from one of the English-speaking journalists um, who happens to also be from, who lives in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Ada, but he's originally from Cameroon. And um, oh, no so kidding. we've been emailing each other back and forth all day. He publishes a magazine out of Morocco. And uh, so this was all about bridging because we were trying to figure out I work with black newspapers here in America, and then there's, uh, you know, African media. And if we can bridge that divide, which means that now we can start changing, um, um, you know, the – I forgot the word. It just left me. But uh, the, the story, you know, the about the narrative, thank you, about Africa, because, you know, what mainstream media does here 
is always, you know, um, death, hunger, disease, you name it. But mm-hmm. we saw, we didn't see that. You know, we didn't see that. And so there's another side to Africa that needs to be told, and in order for that story to be told, our media in this country, our black-owned media and their media needs to find a way to connect so that we can exchange stories. Because over there, what they hear about us is murder, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the negatives. So, you know, we've got to, we, you, me, we have to change that narrative. And these, these this Roots to Glory is, is going to help us to do that. I, I agree with you, and I'm really happy to hear that you are communicating with a, a journalist there because mm-hmm. together as a partner, the narrative could be changed too with joint articles. Exactly. You have you. Exactly. Does anyone That's else have anything they would like to say before we close out the show tonight? Uh, yeah, this is this is the other Denise. Um, you know, similar to what Denise was saying, I've, you know, it, once we left, it did get me to thinking of, you know, other things that we can do, again, to continue doing that bridge uh, building. And, you know, it, you know, we met someone when we were there. We met an, uh, an American woman who was, you know, crowned a queen, queen mother within one of the villages um, because of her work in international business and her uh, women and children advocacy work. And, you know, she's to me seemed like such a fantastic example of, you know, an American black woman that was accepted within uh, the communities there in Cote d'Ivoire as one of their own. And, you know, when I got back, I started talking to some other friends um, of mine within media that are, you know, that, that are, uh, they are African born and, and live in America. And just thinking about how can we just, you know, start connecting you know, some people so that, again, like what we've been talking about tonight, how we can be helping each other as Africans across the world. And so not anything, not any sort of charity or, you know, anything of us, you know, coming there and changing, you know, things, but no, how can we work together? Because we are all, this is all our people. This is all our, you know, this all belongs to all of us. So it just got me to thinking of, you know, new ways, and, you know, that's why I'm just so grateful to Adah for, you know, having this opportunity for all of us that we can continue to identify those uh, opportunities. Right, and and, I, and thank you for mentioning Queen, uh, uh, the Queen Mother, because I received the email from her today, and yeah. she said she so enjoyed our evening together, and she'll be back in America soon so that we can all link up together. And so that which is wonderful because she is so committed to Cote d'Ivoire and will be queen for life, queen mother for life, and so she has just an amazing abundance of energy. Mm-hmm. Someone else has something to say? Uh yes, this is Patricia. I just wanted to add um that the experience of visiting the prime minister um that was that was unexpected and it was just like i said it was just really really uh, uh, the cherry on the ice cream but what i what, but particularly what i liked about that visit was that we weren't just enamored and and just going there to visit him we asked for something a die asked for 
English guys, and uh, I think there were a couple of other things that she asked for. So I was really, really impressed by that. That um, that again, like I said, that we were it. It was it was business. It was it was pleasure, but it was also business. And and kudos to us ladies for that for that experience. Yes. Okay. So anyone else before we close out tonight? Well, finally, I just want to say that, you know, Roots to Glory and uh, this particular tour to Cote d'Ivoire, as well as all of the other trips that I've been on, are are not just tourism. You you just don't go and look at uh, buildings and, um, you know, have nice meals, but it's so much more than that. It it is indeed a cultural experience, and uh, I uh, highly recommend, um, you know, if you have an opportunity to, to get on board on one of these trips, and uh, you, you will never be disappointed. I agree. You will never be disappointed. So thank you so much, Ada, Ada Hope Brown, and all of the root seekers for sharing this journey with us tonight. And, you know, I'm so happy that you have created this opportunity for individuals to experience their their African roots. So, Ada, thank you so much uh, for creating Roots to Glory. And for everyone else, please remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the Côte d'Ivoire Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Smith. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio, and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and co-host Patricia Glover Howard. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night.